Amen. Uh, I don't know who that lady is that was just in there. No, that's uh, my wife of soon to be 22 years, Deborah. Um, thank you, honey. Uh, my name is Lloyd Biddle. Uh, I'm one of the elders here at High Point Church. Um, Nick was kind enough to ask me, you know, several months ago, probably shortly after uh, he came to High Point, um, if I wanted to preach uh, one of the uh, sections in Mark's Gospel, and I said, really have been wanting to preach on leadership, and so he was kind enough to let me choose uh, this passage out of Mark 10. So that's what I will be uh, presenting before you today. Um, now, just a word of introduction. I tend to be a little bit of a, of a sweater, so if I wipe my brow once or twice, don't be put off by that. Um, our text this morning comes from Mark uh, chapter 10. I'm just going to read um, the core of what I'll be presenting to you today. Mark 10, 35 through 45. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever you ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let us, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right hand or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom it's been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. So Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This morning's message is called, Who Wants to Be Great Among You? Uh, bow your heads with me. Dear Lord, um, uh, Lord, I believe all of us have a leadership role of some sort um, and that you want us to understand the great divide between the worship and what leadership is to be in the kingdom of God. So, Lord, use this um, message to help all, sanctify all of our thoughts and minds in this regard. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. When I was a kid growing up on the west side of Chicago, uh, playing sports was a very big part of my life. Uh, you could always find me with some kind of a ball. Uh, in the spring, it would be uh, baseball. Uh, in Chicago, we play 16-inch softball with our bare hands. Uh, it would be basketball. Um, in the summer, I'd keep with baseball and basketball. By the fall, I'd add to it football. Uh, and then when spring would start over, the whole cycle would begin again. 
And uh, I was fortunate. I had an older brother, Lawrence, who was five years older. And he and his friends, they would, they would let me play with them. And I think it was because they always wanted somebody around that they could beat. Um, when I got into uh, uh, grammar school, I went to Resurrection Catholic Grammar School, um, uh, a school on the west side of Chicago in Austin. And, ba and basketball was really big there. And they started organized sports at about sixth grade. So I played in sixth grade, seventh and eighth grade. In eighth grade, Coach Wesley Williams made me and a guy named Willie Love captains of the team. And the captains had you know, some responsibilities. They had to get to, to practice early, open up the basketballs, get those prepared. They had to get the scoreboard out, set the score. I see some people shaking their heads. They, they remember. You, you had to get there early. Uh, you had to set a good example. So if the coach was, was doing a drill, he would use one of the captains to show how the drill should be performed accurately. Uh, if there were sprints, then you needed to be first. If you were a captain, you needed to lead. If there were push-ups and sit-ups, then you needed to be out in front. Um, there was a lot of responsibility you know, for, for an eighth grader. And it was an honor to be a captain of that team. I mean, that school uh, produced players like Isaiah Thomas, who won national championship at Indiana and then went on to great uh, success in the NBA. And Daryl Thomas, another national champion in Indiana. That school had a heritage of great basketball. And uh, we won that year. We won 60 games and lost just a handful. And when they brought all the Catholic schools together at the, for the end of the year tournament, uh, we ended up losing by about one point. So it was a great honor. But I know that everyone who is here uh, has either the gift of leadership or has been put in a position to lead. Some of you are moms and some of you are dads. At work, some of you are supervisors or managers or project managers. Here at church, you might be uh, Ashley and be now kind of being pushed out to lead uh, this new ministry for the 20 to 30 year old. You might be an ABF person. You might be an aunt or an uncle, the only person in your family who knows Jesus Christ. And you might have nephews and, and looking up to you. So whether you have the spiritual gift of leadership or whether you've been placed in leadership just by nature of birth or by work, um, I think that God has something to say to you this morning. Now, you do know that Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is a prophet, a priest, a rabbi. And uh, you would imagine that if you hold all that kind of leadership authority, when you speak about leadership, people should listen. So tomorrow, today, excuse me, this morning, I want all of us to pay attention whether you consider yourself a leader or not, uh, to what Jesus has to say to us about the importance of leadership. Now, here's my first try on the clicker. Let's hope this one works pretty good. Very good. So Jesus was very clear about uh, leadership. He didn't speak in parables. He spoke very plainly to his disciples as they were disputing amongst themselves about who would have the greatest honor in his kingdom, he pulled them aside and he told them this. He says, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Um, so we see with Jesus that the key aspects of his ministry 
was to be an intentional and purposeful servant and to also be a self-sacrificing leader or or servant, self-sacrifice. In his case, he was the leader. Uh, He led us all to salvation. So let's dive a little closely into uh, Jesus and his service. Uh, What does it mean to be a servant? Here in Mark 10 through 46, we see that just as soon as Jesus finishes communicating what he wants them to know about service, they immediately move into the town of Jericho. And there is Bartimaeus who's blind and he calls out to to him and says, Jesus, come, come save me. And so showing us what service is all about, Jesus immediately stops what he's doing. What is he doing? He's on his way to Jerusalem to die for the sins of the world so that we uh, might have eternal life. But on his way there, he's got time to deal with this one blind, blind man. So he stops and deals with his very urgent needs. What I want to say to you this morning is that in Jesus' served, he served us in three primary ways. The first primary way Jesus served was in his preaching. Mark 1, 14 and 15 says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. That's, a, that's, where, that's where Nick started, if you recall, early on in this, in this series, he started talking about the need to repent now that Jesus is here and to receive his salvation. Luke 4 and 18 and 19, this comes from Isaiah chapter 61, verses one and two. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus is at the temple reading, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the good news of the Lord. In Mark 1 and 38, Jesus begins to preach and then he heals and throngs are coming to him. And what the people want is for him to set up camp in one community. But he has a bigger plan in mind. So he brings his disciples to himself and he says, Jesus replied, let us go on someplace somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I came. Because of the preaching of Jesus about his death for our sins, about his life for our righteousness, that Jesus passed on to his apostles, that got passed on to us today, that you receive regularly from Pastor Nick, because of that preaching that's been passed on to us, you and I have come to faith. Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So it's crucially important, and David Miller can speak to this, when we were looking for a pastor, we knew it was crucially important that we put a man in the pulpit who was faithful to the Word, who loved to preach, understood the power of preaching. And so we're very uh, glad and thankful that Sunday after Sunday, you will be fed and you will receive the word of God. So Jesus' number one ministry was preaching. But he didn't just preach. He also healed. He healed many people. Mark 1, 29 through 35. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. 
Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. Tremendous power. That evening after sunset, the people brought to him all kinds of sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Jesus didn't just preach. He was concerned about our holistic needs. I like the way it says in Psalms uh, 16, I remember this whenever I'm struggling, that Jesus is my provision. Everything that you need. If you're struggling financially, if you're struggling psychologically, I'm telling you that Jesus is there to help and to heal. And we as a church, when we minister, we don't just preach. We will take your kids along and nurture. We will visit you at the hospital. We'll feed. We'll do explosions. We'll do ministries in the Dominican Republic. We don't just preach. We are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. But Jesus didn't just preach and he didn't just uh, heal. He also, uh, he also, getting the hang of this deal. Here we go. He also fed people. Two times in the Gospels, in Mark's Gospel, multitudes, so the multitudes spent the whole day listening to Jesus in chapter 6. And then 5,000 men, the scripture says, he fed with five loaves and a few fish. And then just a little bit later on in Mark 8, with seven loaves of bread, he feeds 4,000 who have been traveling around with him three days listening to his word. So we have a God who's concerned about us, mind, body, and soul. He is that kind of a servant that meets all of your needs. Now, you have to contrast him to the leaders of his day. And so why is it that the disciples were struggling trying to understand that Jesus had to go to the cross? Why is it that they were slow to grasp this notion of a suffering servant? It was because the leaders of his time were so different, were totally different. Let's take the Pharisees and the scribes. With their traditions and rules, they went beyond what the law prescribed. And they put on them additional burdens and additional requirements. And the scripture says they didn't help people even understand or try to recognize who God was. So they put burdens on and didn't help people understand and obey God. They took financial advantage of widows. You know, what, what a snake in the grass, right? Uh, uh, you're 80 years old, your mom dies. Here are the Pharisees. They show up to your door. Uh, they, they, they exalted themselves with their ornate garments and their lofty titles. They love to walk around and be called uh, a rabbi. They love to be called elder and deacon. These were the kinds of men that they were. And then they loved the honor of being seated in the best places at, in the festival. So they always wanted to be out front with their robes and to be recognized. And this is the kind of leaders of the common day. So what about other, other leaders of the time? Well, we also have Herod. What about Herod and his leadership? Well, this is the kind of leader he was. He took his brother's wife, married her. When John the Baptist rightly rebuked him because of Herodias, his wife, he put him in prison and later had him beheaded. So this is, the, this is the kind, well, what about Pontius Pilate, the governor of Rome? Well, he knows that Jesus is innocent when he examines him. 
but because he needs to appease the people, he needs to keep his name good in Rome, what does he do? He just goes along with it and puts the innocent man to death. You know, I have to keep power. That's a small sacrifice to make. Well, these were the kinds of leaders that were present during that time. So Jesus was totally different leader and, and then very difficult for his disciples to understand. So bear with me while I, uh, while, I catch, while I catch up with where I wanted to go. All right, so Jesus was a different kind of a leader from his day. Made it very difficult for his disciples to understand. The other thing we need to know, so he was a servant. The second thing we need to know is that he sacrificed for his people. And so we have Mark 10, 32. They were on their way up to Jerusalem. Now this is the third time he has to give this message. In chapter eight, he gives this message. And what does Peter do? Peter pulls him alongside and rebukes him. He says, no way am I gonna be following a Messiah and a king. You're gonna reign, you're gonna be in power, and I'm gonna be right there with him. And Jesus says to him, get away from me, Satan. Peter didn't understand that Jesus needed to go to the cross to pay the price for our sins so that he could live eternally. He didn't get it, and so he was an obstacle to Jesus. So that happened in chapter 8. In chapter 9, where he, again he tells them precisely, he doesn't use parables, he says, listen, I'm going to Jerusalem. They're going to take me and beat me. They're going to hang me on the cross, and three days later I'm going to rise again. And this time he said, I just don't get it. I, I just really don't understand it. And this third time, when Jesus tells them the very same things, what happens is James and John go into a, a power play. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. Now, um, there is an opposite form of leadership um, that's prominent in our society today and was prominent then. And if this video works right, I want to give you kind of the modern day perspective on what to do when you have power and influence. This character is called Epic Win. You might know him from DirecTV. He's a rich, affluent uh, Russian, and he has nothing but opulence and servants around him. And if this will work, Josh, we'll see. If not, I'll just describe to you I'm how. Epic Win. I push to limit every time. But DirecTV is no limit. I'm Epic Win. I push to limit every time, but DirecTV is no limit. Like having 6,000 shows and movies at no extra charge. Much inspirational. No pain, no pain. <laughs> So we have kind of a modern day conception of what to do when you are maybe young, maybe not so young, and, and single, okay? Um, what do you do? Well, you, you gain by, through the pain of other people. 
Um, so what you have there in that video is the big, strong Russian guy uh, with these electrodes hooked up to him, and he's doing all the pain, right? And then you've got on his throne, did you see that? Did you catch on his throne, Epic Wind is sitting, and his pecs are being pumped up. He gets the benefit from, the, from those pain. Now, thank God we have a savior who endured the pain, who endured the shame, so that we might have eternal life, that we might live a life of life and peace now, and eternal life with the Savior tomorrow. A total dichotomy, a total difference, a stark contrast between the kind of leadership that we see today and um, what we, the kind of leadership that we should be exuding exemplifying within the church of the living God. Now, there are three common pitfalls of ordinary, everyday leaders. If we can get that PowerPoint back up. Three common pitfalls. The first thing we see about leaders is they seek glory for their own selves. They behave more like Donald Trump than the late Paul Newman. You might not have known this about Paul Newman. Paul Newman started a company in 1982 called um, Newman's Own. And uh, the company still now, you can go to the grocery store, the cops, and get, and get uh, dressings and spaghetti sauce. Do you know, since 1982, over 26 years, all of the profits, not some of the profits, all of the profits have went to charities. And the charities focus on things like poverty, education, civil rights. So here is a man who used his power and his position not to advance himself, but for the good of mankind. Somewhat different than Donald Trump. I don't think I have to mention too much about Donald. Um, so leaders, the pitfall we make is that we seek glory for our own selves. The second pitfall we make, next slide please. The second pitfall we make is we use power to maintain and improve our position. Kind of like Muammar Gaddafi. You would kind of think that he might get a clue at his time to step aside, you know, like the Egyptian leader, not Muammar. He wants to retain power. A totally different leader than Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa started a ministry, a missions of charity in Calcutta in 1950. And since that time, she died about in 1997. Over 47 years, she led this ministry in over 116 countries, let me get this right, uh, 123 countries, her, her focus was the poor, the sick, the orphaned, and the dying. She didn't use her power to maintain and improve her own position. She didn't use her power for her own glory. The third thing that we leaders fall into is that we can be domineering and downright abusive. It's kind of like the difference between, now I like Bobby Knight. I just told you that a couple of the kids that I grew up with went and played for Bobby in Indiana. Nice guy. But, no, not a nice guy. Sorry about that. Um, abusive. Many instances of, of it in his time. Hidden kids. One blatant instance where he grabbed his chair, he didn't like a call that the referees made, took it and slung it at the team. Totally different from the, the guy on the right, who is an outward Christian, 
uh, leads the team in prayers, allows, has an atmosphere. Uh, he's retired now and on NBC calling the sports, but has, provides an atmosphere for Christian faith, a totally different kind of leader. And the author of the best-selling book, Quiet Strength, subtitled Principles, Practices, and Priorities of a Winning Life. Now, what I'm trying to do here is describe to you the kind of leadership Jesus told his disciples not to exhibit. Here's how he says it. In Mark 10, 42 and 43, he says this. But Jesus called them to himself while they were squabbling over power and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them. And the great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Whoever desires to become great among you must become your servant. So I want to leave you this morning with, very quickly, with five characteristics of godly leaders. And the first one is a dedication to the Lord. Do you remember when Joseph was in um, Egypt and in the house of Potiphar, Potiphar's wife thinks he's a stud. The scripture says that jo- Joseph was handsome and formed and finished, kind of like me. Well, kind of like maybe how I used to be. Uh, at least my wife thinks. There's at least one that will buy that argument. At least one. Says he was handsome. So anyway, she was attracted to him. And she, she outwardly came on to him. And what does he say? He says, there's no way I can do this wickedness against God. He had, he was dedicated, he was committed to the Lord. In 2003, I had a chance to meet this man. I went on a missions trip with a group of churches in northern Illinois to Haiti, a town called Kinskoff, about a, a mile in the mountains up from the capital city. And I met this man. His name is John Alex Paul. He is a pastor of seven churches. Um, the, the seven churches all have pastors. They're affiliated. He's the head. They have two orphanages, one for girls about three miles away and one for boys, 40 in each, and three different schools. And the thing about John Alex that really struck me is that how I met him and got on this mission is that his sister Ruth, uh, who was prospering here in the States, Uh, goes back to Haiti from time to time and helps this ministry. And churches throughout Canada and the U.S. help this ministry out. And when I got there, I saw how difficult it was. You see, Haitians make $2 a day on average, and gas costs about $7 a gallon. And I won't tell you about what it costs for rice and that only, a staple there, and what that did, the, 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 the most recent earthquakes did, and to the cost of that. These people are tremendously poor. Let me just put it to you that way. So he has options. He has brothers and sisters that are rich here in the States. So I said to myself, why is it that he would willingly stay here? Well, the thing is, he knows that these sheep are depending on him. He knows that he is making a difference in Christ Jesus for the people in his town of Kinskoff and for these 40 mission of uh, these 40 orphans. He knows that he's making a difference. Their, their next move is to build a, a hospital there. And so he does, he stays because he's dedicated to the Lord. He's not dedicated to comfort. He's not dedicated to power or position. He's dedicated to the Lord. That is one of the key attributes of a man, of a, a, a leader, a key leader. The second one is a focus on the word. 
One of the cool things about the scripture is when you see a transition of power, when you see Joshua take take place for Moses, when you see David establish Solomon, when you see Paul put Timothy, I believe, pastor in Ephesus, Ephesus maybe, you see that they get a charge to stay focused on the word of God. Every leader that's worth their salt is in the word of God. That's where their power comes from. It's not their relationships. It's, it's not money. A Christian leader's power comes from the word of God. He establishes them. I'll just read one of these verses because it's my favorite. Joshua 1.8. Keep this book of the law always on your lips and meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. If you want to be successful, Jason and Jared, follow the word of God. Follow the word of God. Keep the word on your hearts. Do it and you will be prosperous and successful. So I have a friend of mine, his name is Louis Love. He's a pastor of a very small church in Vernon Hills. Uh, he's a few years older, I consider him a mentor. And since I came here to Madison, I haven't seen him much, but uh, this past fall, winter, over the holidays, I had a chance to go visit Louis. And um, he preached a sermon, always a great uh, preacher, exegetical preacher. And after the service, he saw me, hugs me, he takes me into his closet. He says, Lloyd, uh, here's an English Standard Version Bible. I want you to have this Bible. And here's these books. I've been reading these books from, from, from Mark Driscoll. I've been reading these books. I want you to read these things. He's always in the Word. If I run into him in the barbershop, well, Lloyd, what are you reading? He's quoting scriptures to me. I'm trying to tell you that leaders, godly leaders, the difference between us and the world is that we live according to God's standards of righteousness. We live totally different than the ungodly because we believe and accept and, and obey his word. And then the last attribute, or not the last, the third attribute I want to talk to, to you about is love. Paul said it this way. He says, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is crucial to serving in the kingdom of God. Now, there are many great examples of how people at our church have loved folks in service and, and done tremendous things. But one recent example that stands out for me is our Dominican Republic um, uh, ministry. An 11-year ministry um, where there's a holistic focus on serving people. What did they do over the, those 11 years of time? They built latrines. They helped build schools. They created an environment where 160 kids from Los Potatos were, were received um, sponsorships. Um, and what really struck me about this is when I talked to some of the, the members of the missionary team, and there were several people um, that were there from the very beginnings that, that I do want to take a moment and, and mention their names. Um, there was Vonda Shaw from the very beginnings, the very earliest times of this ministry, uh, Carol Bull, Jenny Bessie, and Rick Zinda. Um, they talked about how there was early struggles of relationships between them and the people in Los Potatos, but they felt early on that God was active in that ministry. And they came up with a vision statement that helped them make it through the very difficult times. 
God-given vision, they say, people-driven mission. So they did not allow some of the difficulties of ministry to keep them, take them away from their God-given vision and people-driven mission. Now the love, so when they came, when our friends from the DR came to visit with us, and you heard Calvin and Pastor Miguel, what stuck out for me is they said that what they learned from the crazy Americans was how to come and serve and ask for nothing, um, and, to, and behind that, then worship and then witness with their, with their mouths. So, so they were the hands and the feet. They preached, they healed, and they fed. And the, the net result is that lives were saved. Did you hear the testimony? Latrines went in and babies started living. This is what the love of God can do in, for the people of God. Last two points really quickly. They need a simple willingness to serve. You need to be willing to serve. Um, do you know that about 23% of the church, local attenders, will serve in the church? Evangelicals, about 63% will serve. Well, here at High Point, we don't keep the metrics, although Nick would like us to. My guess is that there's much better than 63% of the folks here at our church who attend are servers. Now, this is not significant because this is significant for this reason. We are saved not by good works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are here to do the work of Jesus, and through that work, we glorify God. It's about Jesus. It's not about us. And this is a great church. If you're a person here and you're looking for a church home and you want to serve Jesus, I can tell you this is the place to be. There are some great servant leaders here that would love to have you working in their ministry because being a, a, a good leader is about having a simple willingness to serve. Now, a good leader is, is dedicated to the Lord, focused on the word, has a sincere love for people that makes a transforming difference is simply willing to serve, and lastly, is a, there is a, a, a component where God elects them for a specific service. Mark 10, 38 and 40, you don't know what you are asking, Jesus told James and John. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? Can you suffer in an atoning way for the sins of the world? No, you can't. We can, they answered. They didn't understand what he was talking about. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink. You will participate in my sufferings. You will drink the cup I drink. You will be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right hand and my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. All of us have wanted a position whether it was in the church or in the world, and had the disappointment of not having seen it materialize. And it's because God is the one who is ultimately responsible for putting us in place in the places he wants us to be. I kind of like the way Paul says it. He says, but in fact, God has placed the parts, these are the members of the church, in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to go. 
And so we need to recognize that whatever position, especially in the church, you have or don't have, it's not about what you want, but it's about what God wills and how he has prepared you to do, accomplish the things he wants you to accomplish. God wills, he prepares, and he puts us in the place that he wants us to be. Bow your heads with me this morning. Dear Lord, um, we want to be totally different leaders. Uh, Lord, we want to be dedicated to you. We want to die to the flesh and be alive to the spirit. Lord, we want to be focused on your word. We want the word to come out of our lips and we want our legs and our arms to move in lockstep with the word. We wanted to sincerely love not only our brothers, Lord, first and foremost, you, our brothers, and also the world. Lord, we want to recognize and have a willing spirit. Lord, give us a willingness to serve. And lastly, Lord, let us recognize that you have put us in this body and you place us precisely where you want us to be. And we'll continue to give you all the glory and praise. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.